Hey, lovelies. It has been quite the week. The events of the past few days have made me want to simultaneously show my Jewish pride and also help in a real and meaningful way. So together with my friend, Michelle Moses, who is super talented, I created the Am Yisrael Chai crew neck, this super cozy crew neck sweatshirt. So think your favorite hoodie without the hood or pockets features a wonderfully uplifting graphic of a Magen David, the Jewish star, a heart and a dove above the words Am Yisrael Chai, the nation of Israel lives. Because just like all of the others who have tried to destroy us, this whole nightmare will soon be a part of history while we go on. 10% of your purchase goes directly towards Hadassah Goldbergs, aka the Real Hadassah's initiatives for our Chayalim and their wives. Hadassah supports them and their families with items ranging from solar phone chargers to cleaning help at home. They need to feel our love and support now more than ever. So let's show them and the rest of the world. Am Yisrael Chai. The Am Yisrael Chai Krunek is available in sizes extra small through 3X. You can see the graphic on the cover art of this podcast episode, and you can order it at impactfashionnyc.com. I hope you enjoy the show and find it helpful. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Ricky Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I sit down with the trauma therapist to figure out how to process a war on our people. We discuss why watching graphic photos and videos is so harmful, especially to children, the importance of regulating our nervous systems and practical exercises, along with what to do if you've seen something you wish you hadn't. here in this conversation, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, I've had a lot of confusing and conflicting and super scary thoughts over the last few days. So I called upon Esther Goldstein, an experienced trauma therapist with a practice in the five towns, to help me break it down. Hello, Esther. I'm not going to ask you how you are, because we we did that off air, and it's not a simple question to answer. So what I want to yeah. do is that I want to I want to dive in and give everyone a little bit of a context for what we're going to do here. Um, we are currently recording this at about 3.30 p.m. on Wednesday, October 11th. This is what I call an emergency podcast recording because of everything that's been going on in the world. It has been really difficult to get our footing, to process, to know what we're supposed to be doing in this time. Um, You have already been a guest on the podcast. You are also a, and I'm going to link that episode so that everyone can listen to it. It's a good conversation. You should listen to it. Uh, But for right now, we are going to use your expertise as a trauma therapist to to process. So to set the parameters for the conversation that we're going to have, because it's a big topic and there's a lot to cover and there's a lot of different angles here. Um, We're going to limit our scope here to those of us who are not currently in Israel. So we're not talking to people in a war zone. We're not talking to people who are dealing with sirens. We're talking with people who are outside of Israel and and how to and and how those people can cope. If you are in Israel, there are resources available to you. Take advantage of them. Um, but you may not find this particular conversation helpful. So yeah. Esther, why don't why don't you start with why? This feels like a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Why is it so difficult to 
I don't want to say to process this news because the news is horrifying. So it should be difficult to process. But why is it so compelling to keep watching it? Why is it so hard to not pull ourselves away from, you know, just just that doom scroll of seeing everything that's happening? Mm, that's such a good question. It's almost um it's almost like this experience of like wanting to know and not wanting to know and having a sense of control or perceived control. I don't think it's all negative. I think the reason why we want information is because information could be empowering information. It's almost like attachment and relationships, right? It's like, knock, knock. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Okay, fine. Now I could settle down. So it's almost like there's one part of us that's saying, I want to just gauge like how safe I am or what's going on or orienting to the reality of the world around us, the global world, and also the smaller world. And then there's another piece that's curiosity. But I do think that um, a big piece is like information impacts us. And there's different, like, why are we watching or why are we listening? There is this piece specifically for Jewish people is like, we're one nation and everything impacts us. So the global world or what's going on in Israel impacts us, number one, because we are one heart and one soul. And, you know, I, in our team meeting that we ran, we have a mix of people who are Jewish and not Jewish. I think what was touched a lot of the staff was like how each of us were so emotional because there was this bond, which I actually think is beautiful. And if we look at the videos, there's beautiful aspects of like the singing, the dancing, upping the morale. So I think there's that piece of connection, but I really do think we are trying to get a sense of like, where am I? Like, how safe am I? And I, I do want to then look at like, how do we hold that question of how safe am I? And look at how much of that should we look externally and how much of that might be helpful to look at internally or in a more you know, contained way to manage our energy. That question of how safe am I has really been, you just articulated like all of my anxieties in that very one simple question. I actually had a, a meeting in Manhattan yesterday that was canceled. And it was one of the first things that I thought about you know, like leading up to it Monday, like Sunday night, Monday, I said to my husband, I'm supposed to be in Manhattan tomorrow. I don't know if it's safe for me to be in Manhattan. Like that's where if usually if like protesty things happen, then they happen in Manhattan. I was not going to be in like a heavily Jewish area, but I, and then when it was canceled, I was so relieved. I was like, oh, I get to stay in Queens. I don't need, you know, I don't need to go there. How do we, how do we bridge that? Like, how do we, how are we supposed to go on with our regular daily lives while also kind of wondering if like the not Jewish person next to me wants me dead. It's a very, mm. it's, it's, it's I like, it's such, it seems so weird to put it so simply, but that's really where my head has been. Like, like I've just, as I pass not Jewish people on the street, I've really been wondering like, Hmm, I wonder what that person thinks about Hamas. And that's not a great headspace to be in. Right. No, it's a wonderful, I think you're naming it very specifically. I think that there's two pieces. There's one is what's this person's opinion? Do they hate my guts? Do they hate my existence? Or two is, are they an active threat to me? Right? Right. So it's like, are you actually going to hurt me? Or do you actually hate me? Or do you actually know false information, which is totally wrong? So then you think that I'm a horrible human being associated with a nation that basically just wants to hurt people, which is false, but right? So I think it's like that piece of how safe am I? Um, and, and I think the question about safety is that like, are we really ever safe? You know, they talk about people who have like, you know, fear of flying on airplanes and they say, you know, it's so much scarier to drive in a car. 
And then the concept of fear is like, look, there's things that give us a sense of safety. Like there's generic things that give us a, give us a fear, a feeling of safety. And there's things that give us unsafety. Just very basically, right? When I lived in Israel, I lived in Israel for five years. I was there when they were very, very violent times. And I remember at the time, like, working with people who have gone through different experiences and then me myself going through experiences one of the things that we looked at were what were the stabilizing factors or what were the pieces that help people you know move through the trauma that they went through more smoothly or with less of trauma long-lasting symptoms to people who then had like chronic symptoms recurrent symptoms and a lot of it was the fact of their brain or body orienting to a felt sense of safety. And it could be they had a relationship. It could be they had a mentor. could be that they had a very close relationship with God or Hashem. It could be there was something about them, right? Maybe there was like a song that they always anchored into, right? Or a relationship that they came home to that really gave them a sense of stability, okay? Or maybe it was what they saw, right? That was less uh, less traumatic. But I think back to what we're saying is, essentially, there's this piece of like, how safe am I really is a question that's a healthy question to ask. If I'm in a jungle, and I don't know if there's like lions outside, or if there's turtles or rabbits, it's very hard to know, because there's lions roaming around. And there's a lack of knowing what's going on, right? Trauma is, you know, something bad happens, there's not enough time to prepare, and there's nothing you can do to actually protect yourself. So, I think the piece about safety is we're very cognizant of the fact that the world feels unsafe to us, one, because of the atrocities and the massacres that are happening. I think the second piece is the social piece, which is like, are we really socially safe because of people's opinions about us right now, which is really a mixed bag. Right. Right. And so and so we're forced to operate in the world one on the one hand in a sense of conscious awareness and on the other hand in a sense of compartmentalization, which is a little bit of dissociated, like dissociated of the reality. Like I need to disassociate from everything that's going on in the world if I want to have the capacity to function in my day-to-day life. Because knowing that much information won't allow me any energy to function which is what I need if I want to do this thing called life and survive. Is that like a, a healthy response? Is that a good response? Is that is that like if, if someone is listening to this and finds themselves in that disassociative mindset, is that a problem for right now? No, I think it's information. So, you know, what? like people always say, like, we all have different capacities to tolerate. It's kind of the question when people talk about like soldiers at war or therapists or doctors or people who work right with like different kinds of population or they see a lot. So I think one of the things I do have to say is that none of us are invincible from any arena, spiritual, emotional, psychological, or human beings. Some of us have a wider capacity. Some of us have a little bit of a thinner capacity, but we all have a limited amount of capacity for what our brain and body can handle. And I think that when you start getting the signals from your mind or body that you're starting to disassociate, which means you're starting to shut down, or you're starting to feel panicky and you're feeling very unsafe in your skin, or you're feeling angry, or you're starting to have these ruminations or intrusive thoughts, that's your cue. Instead of freaking out, it could just be like, this is a cue that your brain and body is saying it's too much too much for me now it's too and much for me. and then what you need to do is so there's a, there's a range of things right like i'm thinking if somebody is in an active place of israel right if somebody's dealing with specific you know traumatic information then people will either like pull them out of the room and force for like 10 minutes or 20 minutes to not talk about anything traumatic because the brain needs a full break. Some people will need like a medication to really like numb them out because their body is going into chronic shock. Some people need like physically to be held and contained because the symptoms and the somatic sensations are too much to be to, to contain. 
I think when it comes to us is, is that being able to regulate our nervous systems is the best thing that we can do while we know that we're in an active state of trauma. Like we're all going through trauma. That doesn't mean that we're all going to have symptoms of PTSD. And it doesn't mean that the trauma that we're going through is going to leave a lasting impact on us. It's going to impact all of us differently. But I think knowing that it's trauma, knowing the symptoms of trauma, and then knowing how to self-regulate is the most important thing to do. Okay, so, so let's let's follow through that then. We okay. know that it's trauma. We've established that. What yeah. are some of the symptoms that, let's say, let's take, a, you know, like a, a Jewish person living in New York who know, who has been uh, watching videos on various levels of um, gruesomeness, goriness, you know, things like that, who has taken in what's happening with the war. At what, I don't want to say like at what point should they stop or whatever. What are some of those symptoms of trauma that you should be looking out for? First of all, I don't think people should be watching those videos because here's the thing, you, you can be conscious of the atrocities of what's going on without you knowing the details. You could be part of the people who are sending packages, who are sending money, who are sending those handwritten letters, which the which the soldiers are bowling their eyes at with gratitude and happiness. You could daven, you could pray, you could be very kind, literally seeing people at Costco, being connected, sitting down and engaging in an active service. I think those things and actually supporting people who are actually in the army or all across the board, that's powerful. Part of terrorism is that they want to invoke fear in our bodies. How do we invoke fear? By seeing things or reading things that goes into our brain and it impacts a neural network that fires off danger, 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 danger. When we are chronically in a place of danger or panic or fear, what happens is, is that we have less energy to connect to ourselves, to connect to the reason why we're alive and to connect with our loved ones who really just need love and attention so that we can actually continue living. So if you want to think about the life of living or dying, some information could be helpful, but I have to say that more information is usually more harmful than negative. Now, this is separate from people who are basically in complete denial and saying that what we're doing is wrong. Those people, get your facts straight. But for those of us that are aware and are shaken up and it's impacting our soul and our energy, you don't need to know more. I think the question is like, what's going on? Can I pause you yeah. there? Because I think this talks to this really, see, like some, some it's I, I'm torn between it is important that the world knows just how barbaric Hamas is and just how much they want us dead. And at the same time, I think that it is important that Jewish people don't watch that. And and it's this really it's this really fine line and this really this push and pull of how do I how for example, like with my platform, I made the I made the decision not to post anything, not to discuss news, definitely not nothing um, explicit or anything like that. And that was made pr basically because I know and I and I've since confirmed uh, that the majority of my audience is Jewish. And like we know, we don't need to hear that. We don't need to see that. But at the same time, if how do we navigate that? that that contradiction of somebody's yeah, got to right. tell the world what's happening and also i really don't want to know what's happening look in an ideal world and this is what i think is some of what's happening or this is where i do get inspiration when i see mayors and when i see other people and people from different backgrounds or different cultures right when they are speaking up that to me is like soothing bomb for my heart 
because right there was like a, a black person who was like, you guys were there for us, we're going to be there for you. That's an ideal is basically having allies who basically see it. So it doesn't directly impact them as much. And they're able to speak up on behalf of it. It's like, if I see someone bullying someone else, I don't make the bully stand up. I say, Hey, do you see this bullying here? Horrible. I'm going to stand up for you. So there's a whole point of allies, which is basically saying, let's just see the back straight because the bully doesn't need to hyper fixate and tell you all the details and recount the trauma. I think it's a very fine line between how much do I need to know to tell you um, and how much do I really need to know in order to be able to protect myself? So I can't tell you exactly what I think the line is. I think that the line you're asking about symptoms of trauma, if you're starting to have, if you're starting to develop symptoms of trauma or trauma symptoms, or it's impacting your functioning, I'm going to say that I think you've reached your limit. I also think that there's only so much that we can do. I think we need to speak up. I think there's also the same way of speaking up is like managing your energy of how much speaking up are you doing? And then how much are you also replenishing yourself? Right. So, so give me like a quick bullet point list. What are symptoms of trauma? Okay. People who feel very spaced out, starting to feel like having thoughts of like, like suicidal ideation of like, what's the point of living in this world, which is very normal. They could be fleeting thoughts. They could be having a lot of anger, outbursts, tears. I mean, a lot of us have this tears that are flowing down your face, having a hard time, like, you know, seeing clearly, um, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, having like a huge appetite, having no appetite. Um, really wondering about what the point is of this world, feeling doubtful about your safety, um, feeling very unmotivated to do your daily life things. Those are symptoms. Okay, they're normal. So feeling depressed, feeling defeated. When you say that they're normal, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is like, if people feel this way and they're just like, uh oh, this is the end of my world or this is the end of life. No, it's not. You basically are experiencing something that is hellish and no one should ever go through. You're watching a horror movie. When I watch a horror movie, I cover my eyes like this and I squeeze someone and I can't go to sleep alone myself because it's too much for me to watch. And I know it's staged. This is not staged. This is basically saying there's a world of people out there that are barbaric and want us me, you, to be destroyed. That's actually pretty terrifying. So essentially what's normal is that when there's an ongoing trauma, you're going to have symptoms of depression, anxiety, and anything else that's going on. The thing that you do want to do is to manage, like if that's how I'm feeling, like if I go on a roller coaster and I start feeling nauseous and I feel like I'm going to throw up, I'm not going to go on that same roller coaster 17 more times so that I can't even walk straight after. And if I do, okay. I'm going to say, okay, so now I need to replenish for the next two weeks. So all that I'm saying is finding your own internal, you know, compass of, okay, I'm having these symptoms. It's normal relative to the situation. So please don't freak yourself out. Please make sure that you can take care of yourself and get the support that you need. Like I had a friend who never asks anyone for help. She calls him. She was like, hi, I really need a friend. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. She's like, yeah, I'm really not okay. I'm like, yeah, of course you're not okay. Right. So just even the capacity to utilize resources and really bonding together is a big part of this. That makes a lot of sense to me. So once once you recognize those symptoms of trauma in yourself, you said the next step was to regulate your nervous system. What does that mean? Like, I know that I have a nervous system and I know what the word regulate means, but I don't, but, and I've heard this kind of, this phrase kind of thrown around a lot, but why is that important? And then how do we accomplish that? So like, if you have a window, right, you know, so it's kind of like, basically, it's like being okay to not being okay. So if you're okay, or if you're okay enough, you have the capacity to think and feel at the same time. When you're in your, when you're regulated, or when you are okay-ish, you can have thoughts and feelings at the same time. So I could think, okay, I need to get my kid to the bus stop, and I could feel feelings of pressure, but I'm still able to cope. Like I could think and feel at the same time. If I'm having thoughts that are too much, 
and I don't have any capacity for feelings because my, my thoughts are flooding me, that means I'm not actually pretty okay because I'm being flooded by thoughts. Same thing with feelings. Is that if I have so many huge feelings that I can't even think straight, I have too much noise in my head, my whole body feels overwhelmed with anger, with sadness, with panic, with fear, I'm frozen, I'm shut down, I'm getting into fights, I'm yelling, maybe I'm just like sitting there um, feeling like I'm, I'm totally gone, I'm in the room, but I'm totally not in the room, then that also tells you, Al, so you're flooded with feelings. So if, if you start feeling like you either have too many thoughts right? And you can't really feel, or if you have too many feelings and you can't really think, that's usually going to be when you're not really able to function. You're not going to be able to get out of bed. You're not going to be able to get any work done. You'll sit in front of your computer and do nothing. Your kids are going to ask you a question you're not going to answer. You're going to be driving kids and be like confused about how you got where you got to. That's like, an like indicator. In a, like in a deep space out. Kind of. In a deep space out. And that's an indicator that you are either like overheating like it's too much or it's too little. Like it could be like, you're very anxious. Like you're almost like overheating or you might be starting to numb out, which is kind of when you start freezing, right? Cause overheating is almost like getting too fiery, overwhelmed, jumpy, talking quickly, feeling very on edge, picking your skin. Um, and then the freezing is kind of on the lower end, which is like, you start shutting down, very depressed, can't move, cathartic, disconnected, numb, feeling like lifeless. Both of those basically let you know you're not really feeling so okay. And, and then want, what do I do? And then you want to then we want to bring you back up to a feeling of more okayness, which is basically you want to get back in touch with your body. And you want to, if the thoughts are too much, you want to look at what are the things you can do to lessen your thoughts. So it's not a matter of just saying, can you just stop my thoughts? What we do is grounding exercises. So what I usually do. If someone is very overwhelmed is what I might say is like, take off your feet. I want you to be barefoot for a minute. And I want you to literally feel, yeah, the heels of your feet on the ground. And I want you to really just notice like every inch of your skin, noticing the bottom, how cold or hot it feels to be on the ground. Just notice that space between, right? That's the heels. You want to notice your extremities. You might take your hands. And you might say to your hands, just like your feet, the heels are touching the bottom of the ground. You might take your hands, yeah, do it together with me. Like rub your palms against each other and see if you can feel the heat, right? And you can play around with it. Like rub your palms either really slowly or really quickly, right? You're gonna notice that there's like a level of heat that comes up. If there's thoughts or feelings, just notice them, but come back to just like this rubbing of well. So there's this heat, right? There's this heat feeling that's coming between my two hands. And then you stop and just feel what the sensations are like. Another thing that people can do is like stand up and push their, their back against the wall. So it's almost like what you, because what you want to do is orient to the fact that you have a body and that you're in skin and your mind is just your mind and your body is your body. So, you know, you want to be able to orient to the basics of like the externals of who you are. That was actually very calming. I was doing some of those while you were speaking and it and it does make you more, like you said, just aware of your body and, and where you are. How, so if, I'm worried about like 
long-term things with this, right? So right now we're in this kind of acute trauma state with everything that's been going on. It will probably be somewhat prolonged. This doesn't look like it's ending tomorrow. So like, am I just supposed to be rubbing my hands together every hour for the next, however long this takes? Like, what is, how do we set ourselves up to build that resilience for, I mean, I listen, even when the war ends, there's still going to be people who don't like Jews, but like to, to, to get through this long haul of the, the whole situation. First of all, here are just some tools. I have to say that even if you just practice these tools every day, I think that sometimes having one thing that anchors you could be grounding. So if you're able to anchor in like the ability to orient your body every day for five minutes, I think you'll be doing a little better than if you weren't. Um, obviously that was more if like you're hyper aroused or if like you're very anxious, if people are feeling kind of very depressed. I would almost ask for the opposite. I would say, please go on like a 10 minute walk, please put on music, you know, please, um, almost like there's things that almost up our mood and there's things that are like down, right? There's downers and uppers, but I think you're asking a very good question. It's like, what am I supposed to do? So I don't have a simple answer because I think that there's this piece of like, please tell me when I know for myself, it's like, when's the war going to be over? When I lived in Israel, it was like, just tell me when it's going to stop. When are they going to have a ceasefire? Just like I can handle the rockets. I can handle the sirens, but like, I needed to know when it's going to stop. And then not knowing when it's going to stop is the most terrifying piece. And it makes me think about like clients that I've worked with, with complex trauma is that although they're not actively in trauma, this is an active trauma, they're not an active trauma, their body is living like it's an active trauma. And the first thing that I always do with clients like that is that I want to help them develop skills to be able to move through the horrible emotions, sensations, and memories that are being replayed on their body all day long. Because the capacity for them to be able to develop even small moments of calm or small moments of the absence of panic or the absence of horror is where their relief is. And slowly over time, that expands over time. So here it's a little different because what we're saying is I don't actually know how long this is going to take. I do know that there are people that are taking steps. I do know that there's an incredible army. I do see the thousands of people flying out. I do see how there are people who are allies and orienting to those people does empower me, connecting to people who are actually engaging in activities of like empowerment and stepping up does help me. And for my nervous system, I think knowing like it's going to be a rocky ride. I saw this meme actually, this like thing or real on Instagram. It was like when people say, How you doing? Like you're riding the waves. You see this woman on this like ship, and it's like the the waves are just like slapping her, but she's holding on tight and she's actually riding it. I think what I would say is it's gonna be rocky and it's gonna be very uncomfortable. One is just orient to the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable. Please don't try to make it more comfortable than it is. And two is how do we give you tools? Like if you're you know, on a roller coaster, or if you're learning how to surf, like it's, it's a day out there or it's a week out there where it's very rocky waves. How are you going to do the very best you can? And the very best you can means that maybe you go on a wave and for the rest of the day, you're out, you're sitting on the sand and that's it. You're just breathing. If keeping yourself alive and being able to look at like, what can I do to just breathe today is the best you can do. That's what some days are going to be. If eating like frozen, like French fries and ordering in pizza or, you know what I mean? Or being less effective, like take off all those expectations. And sometimes survival is literally just a matter of existing in this moment. Do you think that we should be trying to go back to normal? If you have like a, a, like a nine to five office job or something, 
your your day to day might not look that different from from think, right. you know you know right. from not and that that is in a lot of ways very confusing so personally i find um structure very stabilizing i find it right. hard to stick to structure at times like this so like for someone like me like i give myself the luxury of like making a little bit of edits but i don't have the luxury of just not showing up right right like you um, have to see your clients they they have appointments and i'm sure you're talking about this all day but like it's not it's, it's, well, for some people, not right. Like today, one of the consultations with one of my staff, she was talking to me and I said, I'm not hundred percent present here. I still believe I can be helpful to you. I'm going to be talking to you and supporting you. Um, but I just want to say like this disclaimer right here. And then there were parts of the day that I was fine. I think just like acknowledging it. I do think that like being aware of the fact that we're not going to be, you know, at optimal, I think with goals and timelines, I think it's like offering some grace. I'm going back to normal. No, I don't think normal is possible. I think we all deal with things differently though. Like the way that I'm digesting this information is different than my neighbor or my best friend. Some other people compartmentalize. Some people, I have a friend who went through loss, lost her husband and went through like, you know, a horrific grief. So she's like, unfortunately, like I know grief so well. I, I lived in depression for three years. Like it's not that it's not impacting me, but it doesn't feel as shocking as someone whose life hasn't been as shaken up recently. You know, so we all have such a different way of navigating whatever is going on. So I don't think it's a matter of going back to normal. I think it's how can I find a way to exist within some realm of normalcy or functionality with everything that's going on and knowing that there's going to be days that are going to be much harder and not, and giving yourself space to breathe through that and calling on supports or for some people, they are going to have like a lot of processing they're going to need to do. I personally think stay consistent. Like I had a friend who was like, I want to cancel my therapy. And then she was like, actually, I'm processing through all of this. I don't want to be getting trapped in my body. I'm going to keep to my therapy. I'm like, keep to your therapy, you know, or keep to the things that you can do if you can, because that will be helpful to you and your nervous system. Right. I hear that. I want to shift gears for for a short sure. minute. Sure. So we, we mentioned you know, like consuming the news and, and like graphic videos and images and things like that. If I'm sure that everyone has seen something they wish they hadn't, is there, is there any way to like forget something like that? Is there any way to have it to, to I guess the word is process. Like what do we, okay. Like we shouldn't be watching the videos. Let's say theoretically you are. How, right. You know, like what next? What happens then? How, how, what should we do with that information now that we have it? I think that one of the things you're basically talking about the concept of desensitization or exposure or like um, removing images or like taking off the, with trauma therapy, the whole concept of trauma therapy is that you can't get rid of the trauma, but you could you could change the emotional valence, which is kind of like the emotional memory of, or the energy of like what, the power that it has. So the piece about like images, right? So I have certain images in my head. Um, the way that you kind of like um, deconstruct the power of it is there's different ways. There's exposure where essentially if you have an image in your head, you could either draw it out and draw it out in any way, shape or form, draw out emotions about it. Maybe you have an image in my head. I might take like pastels. I might take a marker and scribble something. I might have a lot of anger in my body. I need to just like shout about the anger about it. Um, but specific to images, personally, I'll start drawing something. It might not even be the actual item. I might start drawing something. 
when it comes to therapy, I'm not going to score therapy with therapy. What I'll do when it comes to images is that I might want to desensitize it. So there's something called the distancing technique. So I might think of that image. Usually the image is associated with something, a belief that I have about myself or the world or about what's going on. I'm in danger. That's horrible. It could happen to me or it's, it hurts me that someone's suffering. So then there's something called the distancing technique where essentially you take the image, then you imagine putting it on a screen, on a TV screen. This is what I like to do. So you literally like imagine I walk someone through it. Then I want you to imagine the TV screen is turns into black and white images. So that image is turned into like black or white. And then I want you to imagine the image becomes very grainy. Okay. So it becomes less and less and less and less and less clear. And then I want you to imagine that the image and the screen becomes even smaller. Okay. So it's like becoming smaller in your mind's eye. So it's still there. And then what I want you to do is that you can imagine that you're watching a TV show, no, but watching TV. And I want you to imagine to switch the channel so that that channel is still on. Okay. Blurry picture, yucky, bad, scary. And you're switching the channel to something that you want to see. Maybe a cooking show. Maybe like the latest fashion. Maybe there's like a quote that you're looking at. Or maybe there's a song that you have on. Or maybe a green apple. For me, I'm like, I want to see a green apple. Yum, I love green apples. They're sour. And I want your brain to see the green apple on the screen. Okay? And then if you want, so you notice the green apple. Notice what it's like. You notice the green apple. What do you notice in your mind, your body? And then you could go back to that other image. And you could play around with it, but you want to give your brain control, the capacity to control that image exists, but it also has the capacity to bring another image forward, go back to that image, bring another image forward, go back to that image, see if you can make that image even a little smaller, right? And change a little bit of the emotional valence of it, of like a horrible thing happened. It really hurts to know this. I'm going back to the green apple. So... You want to almost like lessen the intensity of what I know I don't why I walked you through it very quickly. I sometimes do this with clients with EMDR where I'm doing bilateral, which it's like it's helping the brain process information, or I might do it somatically. But even if it's my own child or at home, I would want to work my mind through because the power of images and the mind is that something could have a lot of power. And what we do want to do is we want to loosen the stronghold of that image on our mind. That makes a lot of sense. Because it's almost like I like this metaphor of, of the TV because it's it's giving you the control to I don't have to think about that terrible thing. I can think about SpongeBob, which was the first thing that my that my brain thought of when oh, you said SpongeBob. Yeah, yeah or you a different even, right? Or there's a where there's like what you're doing is giving it autonomy. Like sometimes a bad thing happened. It's like I want you to fast forward through all the images that you've seen. I want you to see them all very quickly. All the images they're in your brain. Okay, so a horrible thing is happening, or a horrible thing happened. Okay, and I want you to then see the image of all the soldiers all coming. They have tons of training. They have lots of ammunition. Okay, who's around you? Who's in your home tonight? What what in your house makes you feel secure? Is there someone that you could talk to? Can you get a little hug? Can you hear the sound of my voice? Could you know, could you look at the times that you've gone through hard times and you've survived 100% of the times? Maybe with emotional scars, maybe with physical scars. And here you are. So you just want the body to start processing the information because trauma is when we get stuck and we get fixated on something and all the fear just bubbles up out of our body. So moving through it is combating the trauma. Moving through it is 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 um, releasing the stronghold of the energy that's gobbled up or the fear that gets trapped in the body. Yeah, you, okay, want, to, makes you sense. want it to move through you. You want it to be like information that processes through like working memory doesn't get stored into active. You don't want it to get stored in active memory where it's here. You want it to be digested into long-term memory. Right. 
one of the things that that came up, uh, I think this this message started circulating yesterday, basically uh, that Israeli schools were telling parents to make sure that their kids didn't have um, Instagram and TikTok so that their kids should not be exposed to videos that were being released by Hamas. Is it is this type of imagery particularly impactful to children or are we just do we just care more about our kids than we care about ourselves? particularly impactful for children. See, my eyes are watering because to me, the things that they're talking about, they would be sharing um, is the mental manipulation, is the sadism, is like, it's sadistic. It's you want to you wanna destroy all of us, right? It's part and of the war. Spirit. It's also, it's part of the war. Like the way it's, like that's the part that I can't get out of my head is that like part of how they're not just firing guns, they're also firing videos. So and, here you go. and like, they want it to be playing in our heads. Yeah, no? Maybe. We fight them is that we know that this is what's going on and we want to get we want to we want to destroy this behavior so it stops so we can actually help less people be in that situation right, right. i think the piece about children that's more impactful than adults is that children's um prefrontal cortex is not fully developed they have parts of their brain that are not fully developed children seeing images and being able to experience thoughts feelings emotions is a lot more dangerous on a child's developing mind. The imprint on the mind is incredibly more impactful than the on the adult mind. You could develop PTSD, you could develop complex PTSD, but I have to tell you when I see clients who have dissociative identity disorder or clients who have complex PTSD, who had trauma in their adulthood, and I compare it to someone who had trauma or were exposed to certain things in their childhood, the people who had exposure in their childhood, their brains have a lot more fragility than those who were protected in their childhood or had less and later on in life saw difficult things or experienced difficult things. It's just, it's a neurobiological thing. So we need to protect our kids because we have to protect our kids if we don't want to have even more damage for them. The second piece is we need to protect ourselves 100% because if I'm really not okay, my kid isn't. But if you really want to think about the neuroscience, yes, our kids' brains are a lot more negatively impacted. So it is just are. worse for them than it is for us. It's way worse for them. Yeah, that also them. just makes a lot of sense because they don't have the context. That's also it's they don't like, have the context. They don't understand. They don't have the relatability. They can't make sense of like different things in the world. So, but their right. brain also think about the mechanics of the brain. They just don't have the capacity. I don't care how many words you give them. You never talk to a kid and it goes over their head. They they can't. Right. They don't have capacity. It's like I always say. I think I mentioned this to you. Giving a piece of meat to a baby who doesn't have teeth, they can't process it. You could you could hold the baby to the moon and back giving it a piece of, 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 of meat. It's not going to be able to chew it. So right. have information that there's no, I don't care what mommy or daddy or anyone says, I don't care how safe I feel. If I see that information, it's, it's impacting my development as a child in this world, what I believe around people in the world and how I feel. Right. So how can we help again? We're, we're not talking to people who are in Israel in an active war zone. We're yeah. talking to people who are elsewhere. Your yeah. kids, if they are, you know, reasonably able to understand what's happening around them, have heard about this. You know, they they have probably also heard from friends and and elsewhere, even if they haven't seen videos or which I hope they haven't. But they've 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 probably heard, you know, at very least numbers of dead, numbers of wounded, maybe some of the specific incidents that have occurred that I'm specifically not mentioning now. How do we walk? How do we walk our our kids through this? How do we because isn't isn't to be a kid to always feel safe? And if you've got a Jewish kid. Is it almost, it almost feels irresponsible to make them feel safe everywhere, but also they deserve that. 
they deserve to 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 feel secure in the place that they're in. Help, help me work through this, Esther. Relative I, safety. Relative safety. We want to give our children relative safety. If you're not on a seat, my friend was leaving. Um, my friend was in Israel, and she was basically on the way to the airport and in the shuttle. And basically, she said there were rockets like flying all over, and they were crashing like in front and beside them. Her kids were very scared. But so their kid said, mommy, are we okay? She said, sweetie, I'm with you. I love you. She was not going to say you're okay. You're safe. All she said is, I know it's scary. Come here. Mommy's going to hold you. Come here. I'm right here with you. Come here. I'm right here with you. Because the being alone, if you look at the trauma research, being alone in trauma is the scariest part. It's not necessarily being in a place of danger. It's being alone in the face of danger. And so I actually think that we could give relative safety, but we shouldn't lie to our kids because then they actually don't believe us. And they feel like there's something wrong. And what you can do is you can show them that you're doing the very best you can. Dr. Becky, I like her when she talks about good inside. She actually has a little bit of a script. I'm going to read it to you where she talks about sharing with children. She wrote um, here, one of the scripts she wrote is, I want to tell you to say to your children, I want to tell you about something that is serious and sad and will likely bring up a lot of feelings. Whatever you feel and whatever questions you have, I'm here with you. There is a war between Israel and a terrorist organization named Hamas. War is when two groups of people no longer use words to manage conflict and instead resort to harmful, aggressive actions and weapons. This is really big news and a lot of people are talking about it. You might hear friends at school or others talk about scary things or confusing. If that happens, know that I'm here to talk to you about anything or everything, right? And basically she's talking about the fact, and I don't want my kid to know about terrorism. You know, the kids, and we went to the parent-teacher conference, the kids hardly knew about 9-11, which I don't want my child to know about 9-11, but this kind of thing, I'm neglectful if I don't share even a little bit of information. Now, do I want my child to know that there's the concept of terrorists? No, but do I want them to know that there, that there are people who are being harmful and doing horrible things and that we have people who are trying to protect us? Yes. Now, I'm not saying to use their exact words, and it depends on the age, but I do think that being able, it's the same thing with, right, so Ripka Cohen talks about when somebody dies, like saying that somebody died, using the word death is important. I don't want to talk about how many people die, but if he hears a thousand people died, it's like, yeah, a very, very large number of people died. That's what happens when people fight in a war. War is to find a place so that the rest of the world can feel, or their country could be more safe at night so they could sleep. It's a very scary time to go through. Wars always end. Mm. Right? Like, I think there is like a, and this is where we are in relation to blah, blah, blah. Like there's places that have, I, I think just like giving a beginning and a middle and an end. And I think saying like, I'm here with you in it. So to give them as much context as possible while also acknowledging that you are there and available to address the questions basically that come up. As best of your ability. And there might be questions that you don't have answers to. And then you say, it's a really good question. I wish I had an answer right now, but I'm I'm here with you in this. Right. Sometimes life could be very confusing. I think the one positive is that if parents could model strength in the face of uncertainty, the child knows I can trust someone. What the does world... that look like? What does modeling strength in the face of uncertainty look like practically? Does let's that mean like not crying in front of your let's kids? Say you're a disaster. Let's say you're very overwhelmed and you're very angry and you literally say to child I had a really hard day I heard something that was hard or it's really hard for me I'm going to go to my room for five minutes I love you I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes you did nothing wrong you come back out okay so you're modeling you're having hard time. you come back out you you play you you build a puzzle together 
Your kid asks the question, they let you show them that you have emotions and you're being present in the moment. Being present and connected to another person is modeling strength. Getting up and cooking something, interacting with a friend, having a conversation, reminding them of like, what does it mean to be Jewish? Right? Or why are we being loving to our neighbor? What do we do when we're in pain? We show up for each other. Look, these people, these people are going in and dancing with these, you know, with the soldiers. You know what we're doing? You're inspiring them. You're seeing the when there's horrible actions in the world, there's choices that we make. These are the choices that we make, even when it's really hard. Right. Different for different age children. And also some children might just be angry or confused or wondering, is this really what the world is about? Is the world such a scary place? Is it? It kind of feels like it now. I think the world is a very scary place. I think that the world's also a very beautiful place. There are loving, incredible people and there are horrible people, but right now our heads are fixated on a lot of danger. For my own self, what gives me strength is connecting to the, my immediate circle of people who have been so abundantly kind in love and me back to them. And also looking at the incredible amount of love and support of our Jewish community and nation and our allies that are showing up I get a lot of support from that. I can't just only fixate on like the pain that we're enduring because because then I would just feel de defeated and helpless. Right. I think I need to start doing a little more of that because- I think you have to see like the videos or people in Baltimore, my friend who reads like $50,000 and they're getting- I know. And these, and like just the love and like this one for this one soldier saying like, you don't understand. I was going through so much trauma and all I thought about was a six-year-old who came over to hug me. And I was like, me, what am I doing? And he's like, and I burst into tears or these people who are like singing and dancing, you know, listen, we are all programmed. It's called a negativity bias. We're all programmed to think about the negative. I think about the people I've treated with PTSD in Israel. And I'm like, are you kidding me? All that healing work now again, I'm not cool with that. I'm angry. Right. So angry. Or my clients who are dealing with PTSD, I'm like, they have enough trauma just to function in the day to day. Like seriously, you're giving us a whooping of this. I'm not happy about that. Right. It's uh, one of the um, one of the things that I heard. I'm nearly positive. I also heard it from from Sarif Gokon, who you mentioned earlier, was this yeah. idea of um, she's very faith oriented for a lot of obvious reasons. And one of the things that, that she mentions is that like being being like you said, being angry and being angry at God is like the clearest indicator that you have a relationship. And then that means and that and that for a lot of people can also be a source of comfort. I'm not sure if it to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure really sure if it is for me. I'm not like a very spiritual heebie-jeebie type of person, yeah. but it does, it, it does feel that way sometimes. I don't I'm know. Not, yeah. I don't know if I specifically am in this specific moment, angry at God. I told my friend last night, I'm like, I feel like he fell asleep at the steering wheel and I'm just like, hello. Yeah. Hello? Like what, what, what happened? Like, I need to know that you're steering us somewhere, you know? Right. That's my experience where I'm like, should I take over? Cause I don't think I know how to do this any better, but it feels very scary. I know the world of spirituality. I know that there's a world of confusion. I think for me, pain of children, see, I get emotional pain of children, like being a mom, I'm seeing a child suffer, like destroys me. I feel like that's like the worst pain in the world. Um, I think that like, I know there's a world that's bigger. And the only thing we have right now is our energy and our power, which is why I am protective over my energy. I need to come back to my why we're having these conversations. It's about connection. I adore connecting with you having these conversations. I think love really is the answer. I, I think, um, I think Hashem knows what he's doing. I just, I feel very confused right now, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think there's times, I think my relationship with God or Hashem is like very, very, very real, very authentic. Um, 
it's it's hard. It's very hard and painful to right. see. Right. It's the it's it's so hard also in to because like the the last thing that anybody going through something difficult, and I'm talking not now about like a communal difficulty like this one, but let's say if like if someone is going through a personal tragedy of some sort, the last thing they want to hear is everything comes from Hashem and it's for the best. Like that's the that that's is like, like spiritual gaslighting. I know, but that's like listen, that's like the that's like the worst thing to say ever to anything right. about the God thing. Like, first of all, Hashem never said that. And I don't know that it's all for the best. Like some things are horrible. You know, they say like everything, you get everything you can handle. And then there's right. a or you develop complex PTSD and you barely, you know, make it through the world alive. There's a, there's a second line to that quote that we didn't know. It involves CPSD. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a matter of like, please don't say any of that. Please don't be God. This is what's going on. This is what we're doing. We don't have it all figured out. We're doing the very best we can. And that's more than enough for right now. And whatever your feelings, your feelings are. Shai Taleb said something the other day, which I loved. He basically said, now is not the time to intellectualize. I could pull out all my svarim. I could tell you everything. It is not appropriate right now. Right now, what you need to do is emotionally survive and take a breath and get through the next day. Trying to analyze and make sense of this is completely inappropriate right now in this time. At a later point in time, when your feet are grounded, when we have a perceived sense of safety, when we're actually grieving the numbers and the loss and we're surrounding the people who are hurt or hurting and we're licking our wounds, that might be a time for us to then look at it. But right now is not the right time. No, you yeah. don't go and like tell people about all this intellectual stuff. You go, you know, they say you don't give an intellectual answer to an emotional question. We're, we're bleeding and we're fighting. You know, like in survival, when you're running away from a lion, you're not like, let's just, until no, it's not the time right now, right? Like if people have questions, you can engage in it, but now is not the time to go on this like high horse and talk about the beauty of all of this, you know? Right. One of the things that I have found kind of consistently that has allowed me, I don't want to say to feel better, but to 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 function a little bit more is like you said focusing on all of the good that's happening and we're seeing so many people who are mobilizing and and volunteering and getting you know just getting so many things off of the ground i there's been a lot of i think studies or like definitely this is not a new concept that just helping other people makes you feel better why is that like why is it that we why is it that like obviously like send the stuff over to the soldiers because they need the stuff but why is it that after you know you pack a duffel bag filled with stuff and it goes on a plane why does that feel so good like why is is it because you're it's tapped, productive you're tapped, you're tapped into a solution there's a problem you're helpless you're frozen you don't know what mm. to do okay you're tapped into a solution you're basically you're tapping back into energy life is all about energy life is energy death is no energy okay death emotionally mental spiritual okay if you're tapped into the capacity to have energy, that's why I said like me coming to my office today, I didn't want to come to my office today. I wanted to work from home. And I'm like, SD, get out of the house, get to the office, get to structure, keep your routine. I didn't feel good. I didn't want to do it, but it was like, there's something about tapping back in, listening to people dealing with trauma, listening to people who are struggling in their relationships, helping children with this or beyond this, right? I think in our lives, there's something about like, can I be tapped into something that has the capacity to make a shift that gives me energy, that helps me see the much bigger, broader view. There's a world. Yes, there's the Jewish nation. Yes, there's pain. But for me being able to zoom out, like a lot of times I always say, my nose is against the window. I can't see anything. All I see is my breath. It's like, and I can't see anything and it's fogged. A lot of times I'm like, can I please zoom out and look at the bigger construct? And how can we see? There's a lot of deaths. There's going to be deaths. That's not something that we could control. What I do love is that they're actually coming down really hard. I don't love the amount of anti-Semitism. I don't yet know all the negative impact. All I could do is to orient into my position right here, right now. 
to zoom out a little bit and yes, to be part of the solution. Cause if not, then where's my energy going? Right. By the way, this is the whole concept of why people who have anger or processed or unprocessed emotions get panic attacks or feel very depressed. Energy has to go somewhere. If it's all inside, it's going to gobble me up. Right. I could sit on a couch frozen and get nothing done, or I could take that energy, even though I don't want to. And if I'm ready, there might be times I need to be frozen and just sit. Okay. But if I actually have the capacity and someone takes me out and I get to do something, I will be able to be part of the solution. And I'm not stuck in that. Right. That's the whole point of like healing and shifts. Right. Mad at your husband and have like all these fights in your head versus like, I'm so angry at you. Engage, have a shift, move the energy. Right. One of the things that I have found most difficult, this is going to sound so trivial and dumb, but here we are. I realized that when I, um, my husband and I will often use this phrase that sometimes we just need to turn our brains off and we will literally say to each other, babe, I, I need to turn my brain off now. I'm just going to be on my phone for a little bit. Yeah. And and then we will do that. And yeah. what I have found is that something that has been particularly difficult, I guess, or weird, and again, there's no way to say this without it sounding so trite, is that the thing that I use to turn my brain off, which is almost exclusively scrolling Instagram and TikTok, is no longer safe. Because it's no because it's all filled with the news of what's happening and it's all filled. I mean, I have been muting accounts left and right over the past yeah. couple of days. Um, I'm gonna have to figure out how to get all those people back once this has all calmed down. But it's I it's there's that has been particularly unsettling for me because I guess it's my go-to coping mechanism. You're for, gonna have to find in your coping mechanism, I love. Oh, uh, I don't want to. Come with me. Let's go to let's go to a pottery class. It's funny. My friend was saying she's crocheting. I'm like, you're the old ladies club. She's like, no, I'm the same ladies club. I was like, okay, maybe I'll join you. I'm I serious. It. Yeah, I'm I should serious. pick up my needlepoint again. I really should. It would probably be, you know, better. Honestly, we've still been digging ourselves out from the mountains of laundry from Oversuchus. So, uh, podcast and laundry folding has been pretty cathartic. <laughs> Laundry folding. My son has Lego, which it's very hard for me to be present when I have these emotions. And a lot of times I just force myself. It is so difficult. I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like shifting the brain to doing things that we don't want to do is actually the best thing. Like to me, that's like Herculean effort going to CVS. And I'm like, let me peruse the different deodorants. That's part of grounding exercises. Wow. I never realized Dove had a purple container and it's round deodorant i'm serious like or whatever like you I can have, whatever you can take notice of to, to broaden the world and to take in it's too much taking in electronically i think that there's like other ways that we need to interact gather information so one of the things that people do do i know we have to hop off soon one of the things a lot of people are doing in israel but especially here is that there's rooms where they're not talking about the news at all it's basically like a safe room no talking about anything besides for like the color of your shoes, an upcoming holiday, a birthday, right. cake. Like that's not a bad strategy. No, like we're not talking about this right now. Right, right. This is now we're doing something else. Yeah, I, I if hear it. Brain, and if you track the brain scans, I think the science. What helps me is orienting in science. And when you track the brain scans, you're going to see more capacity and more creativity and more energy. So if you really want to look at information, we need to be able to manage our brain energy better. This is about brain health. It's not right. even about like, you know, right. 
I will say that one thing that I did notice is that I, I've always noticed this is that my stories and my reels feed are always drastically different because your reels are not people that you follow. And I have yeah. trained that reels algorithm to be almost exclusively furniture um, refinishing and like different <laughs> DIY projects. They are the most satisfying videos. So what I actually have been doing quite consciously is not watching my stories and only watching reels because those are kind of fun. Go for reels. Go for reels. Right. And like, and that's, and that's has been very helpful. Um, we, like you said, we do have to hop off. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. I hope, you know, I know that we all now have a little bit more of these grounding exercises to kind of regulate, to, not to kind of, I learned new words. We have grounding exercises to regulate our nervous systems and feel like there is more relative safety in the world. Um, and thank you so much for coming on today, Esther. I really appreciate sure. it. And I have to say one last thing, like when I get overwhelmed, sometimes I get frustrated. I'm trying skills and I'm not even feeling better. And then I say, if I'm even able to experience a 0.01% shift, that's success. Because that's what I hold in mind with my clients with complex trauma who have a hard time or have an onslaught of symptoms or pain. I tell them we're taking a magnifying glass and we're going to notice the tiny, tiny, tiny shift. You made schnitzel today. You woke up and you actually took a breath or you looked at your child in the eye today, or you actually went and you opened your computer, I'm going to celebrate the heck out of that. Because if you don't, your brain's not getting a positive feedback loop to do that again. And so I have to say in moments like this, we need to notice and celebrate the tiny, tiny, tiny steps, or even like, wow, I'm feeling really down. And without criticizing the fact that you're feeling down. So I just have to say, like, if we really want to build on this, I think about from working on trauma and complex trauma, we have to notice and celebrate the tiny moments because that's really what's going to build us up and energize us. And we got to be hyper fixated on the things that give us energy. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on, Esther. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Esther and her practice, her links are in the show notes. I've taken the grounding and desensitization exercises Esther worked us through here and pulled them out into their own episode for quick and easy reference if you find yourself needing them. Find them wherever you're listening to this episode. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing I and I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on all the socials at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. One last thing, this podcast feed is going to continue as usual. I'll still be posting episodes every Monday, and for the most part, the content will not be current events-based. Like Esther said, we can't really go back to normal, but we can try to stick to our routines as much as possible. There's nothing a Hamas terrorist would hate more than women lifting each other up and sharing their stories, and that's precisely what we're going to continue to do here. I'm Israel Chaim.